Michael Franzese was not just a soldier, but a capo in the notorious Colombo crime family. He spent the better part of a decade in federal prison on charges including tax fraud, racketeering, and parole violations. I grew up in New York where there are five organized crime families. My dad was a underboss in the Colombo crime family back in the 1960s. I went to see my dad in Leavenworth, and uh, I said, Dad, listen, I don't want to go to school anymore. During the course of that visit, he said to me, listen, if your mind is made up and you don't want to go to school, then uh, if you're going to be on the street, I want you to be on the street in the right way. And that's how it started for me. Morning. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good morning. Now, I got to tell you before I start, I am very blessed to be in a different church every weekend throughout the year. I've been in hundreds of churches over the past couple of years. But I got to tell you this this worship band, they rock, really. And uh, that young lady, Natalia, I believe her name is, she, she sings like an angel. I mean, unbelievable. But really, and it's really great because it really motivates uh, me, to give me to give you my testimony. And Pastor Chuck, I can tell you, you can meet him in about five minutes, you know his heart. So any of you that are visiting today, I can tell you you're in the right place. This is a, uh, I feel so comfortable and, and warm just being here. And it's a blessing for me because I live in Marina del Rey. So I'm traveling all the time. I'm on a plane to go to another place. So whenever I get a chance to share in uh, <clears throat> what I consider my hometown, it's really a blessing. So I thank you for that. <clears throat> and I got to tell you, every time I, uh, I get up and speak, my prayer is always the same. And that I realize that I'm just a messenger here this morning, people. And I really mean that. It's not about me. It's really about the word, what the Lord has done in my life. And I'm not here to impose my faith on you. I'm not here to try to convert anybody. I'm really here just to share, again, what God has done in my life. And I know being here, I'm not here by accident. You know, there's a lot of planning goes into this. As a matter of fact, last night I walked into the hotel before I came here, and there was people in the lobby, and everybody started looking at me, coming up to me, are you Michael Francis? Are you Michael Francis? I said, oh, am I under surveillance again? It was like back in the old days. <laughs> anyway, I understood. And then this 12-year-old kid comes up to me, and he says, hey, Mike, I got my father on the phone. He wants to talk to you. I said, no, wait a minute. That's too much. As it turns out, there's some huge billboard, I think, with my name, my face on it, and everybody in town saw it. So you did a great job, Pastor. But um, I realize I'm not here by accident. A lot of planning goes into this. And none of you are here by accident. Now, I guarantee some of the guys in the room this morning, they don't come to church that often, but, you know, their wife dragged them in. They figure, hey, you know what? Sopranos is off the air. Let me go see what the real mob guy is all about, right? <laughs> it's okay. Whatever God get, uses to get you in the door, that's okay, but you're not here by accident. And I realize that if you're in here this morning, God wants to plant the seed in your heart. And I always pray, Lord, give me the, the right words to say. Let me be effective and passionate enough in delivering this message so that you can reach out and touch the heart that you want to touch in this room. Might be one person, might be 10, maybe everybody in the room. I don't know, and I don't worry about that. That's God's deal. I just want to be effective in delivering this message because people, I want to tell you this. You take a real good look at me because I'm probably the most blessed, most fortunate person you're ever going to see in your life. Because had I been left up to my own to do what I wanted to do in my life, led the road that I wanted to lead, I'd either be dead or in prison for the rest of my life. It's what I deserved. It's what I earned having spent almost 20 years on the street every day in violation of God's laws and the laws of man. I did it knowingly. I did it willingly. 
I can't blame anybody. I didn't have any addiction. Nobody led me in the wrong direction. This was a choice that I made in my life. And if God can see it in His grace and His mercy, not only to forgive me, and I believe He has, people, I really do, not only to forgive me, but to give me a life, to give me my freedom, to give me a wife that I adore, children that I adore, and then to bless me with a ministry that I never deserved and never asked for, people, if he can do that for me, then I'm telling you there's hope for anybody. Because I will tell you this, I don't care what anybody in this room has done today. I don't care. I guarantee you haven't done some of the horrible things that I've done in my life. You spend 20 years on the street, people, you do some stuff. And I'm not saying this to try to scare you or build anything up. But I believe that my purpose in life now is to be an encouragement to all of you, to let you realize that no matter what you've done in your life, no matter where you came from, no matter how far from grace you think you've fallen, okay, that if you go to our Lord with a sincere heart, and He knows our hearts, we can't pull a scam on Him, but if He knows our hearts and we seek forgiveness, God will not only forgive you, but He'll fulfill a plan and purpose in your life because every one of you in here have an individual gift or talent that God is ready to use. And you know what, people? When you get to be my age and you get to do some stuff in your life, you realize life is not all about having a career, about having a family, okay, even though that's important, of course. And then you do all of these things. You get in business. You go through your life, and one day you lay your head down, close your eyes, and that's it. That's not what it's all about. God has a plan and a purpose for every one of us. And it doesn't matter if you're nine years old when you realize that and nine, or 99 years old. God will use the experiences of your life to fulfill that purpose. And I hope if you get any kind of message out of this today that you realize when you walk out of here that, you know what, God has a plan and a purpose for my life. Yeah, I've gone off track. Yeah, I've been you know, a bad person at times. I've been sinful. But there's hope and there's time, and as of right today, I can turn my life around. And that's what it's all about. And I know this. If you're in here this morning, God is going to plant the seed in your heart. No doubt about it. Now, some of you may be moved right away. Some of you may say, hey, you know, good story, but i got to go watch a football game today. i got other things going, planning for Christmas, so on and so forth. That's okay. It may take 10, 20 years before God waters that seed that was planted in you today. But I'll tell you this. Once God's got a hold of your heart, he'll never let you go. So you know what I say? Make it easy on yourself. You may as well start today because he's got you. You're here. He's got you. That's it. So that's what it's all about, people. And I am going to tell you a story. It is my story, but it is God's testimony. And I am a little bit selfish in this and that I really do hope that you walk out of here a little bit differently than when you walk in this morning, because that's what it's all about. Whenever a pastor brings a speaker in, it's really to share what God has done in our lives and really hope that it motivates you to do the same, because people, I'll tell you what, I've done a lot of things in my life, but I've never been so blessed since I've developed this relationship with the Lord and allowed Him to work in my life, and I really mean that, and I pray that's the same for all of you. So with that, I'm going to give you my story, and it is a mob story, okay, and uh, uh, you know, some of you out here, I always say, when I ever come uh, out west or down south or sometimes to the Midwest, i got to do a little mob 101, because fortunately you don't have that much of a mob presence out here. Now, when I'm in New York or back east or some, a little bit different. i got to make sure there's nobody in the audience that's still mad at me, but uh, 
a little bit different. So I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that life. Whenever you hear about that life, you can take to the bank, because in terms of Mafia La Cosa Nostra in this country, I was the real deal, and that I was a sworn made member of the Colombo crime family. And there are nine families throughout the country, five of them that are in New York. There really is no mafia in this country. In America, it's called La Cosa Nostra. It means this thing of ours, similar to the mafia in, in Italy, but uh, a little bit different in, in some ways. And uh, my dad was the underboss of the Colombo crime family back in the 1960s. Very powerful position. In that life, you have a boss, an underboss, cop regime, or captain, and a soldier. Many of you have seen The Godfather. There is a position called consigliere. Robert Duvall played that role brilliantly, I might add, but it was fictional in The Godfather because in order to be a sworn, made member of that life and take the oath, your father must be Italian. Mom can be of another descent, but your father must be Italian. And my dad, in terms of law enforcement investigation, media attention, very, very high profile, kind of like the John Gotti of his day, always under investigation, always a major target of law enforcement. I grew up a lot differently, I'm sure, than most of you in this room, and that I grew up hating the police. Hated law enforcement, hated the government, and it wasn't because my dad taught me that way. He didn't teach me that way. He taught me to respect the law, but it was really because of what I witnessed as, as a kid growing up. Their tactics and techniques against organized crime were very different back then than they are today. Today, everything is very covert. They got a lot of undercover uh, informants, a lot of high-tech surveillance equipment. Guy can be under investigation, not really know about it. Back then, when he was under investigation, they wanted him to know about it. And for a period of about seven or eight years, when I was a kid growing up, Dad was under investigation from FBI, IRS, Queens Detectives, Brooklyn DA's office, you name it, they were on him. And uh, every one of those agencies had a car parked around our house 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They had us cornered on all sides. I was one of seven kids. Whenever we as a family would go anywhere, we had a parade of law enforcement vehicles following us. Everybody knew when we were coming into town. And I witnessed some things that were kind of unpleasant. Sometimes they can get a little bit out of hand. I remember one night we went to a restaurant, sat down, had a bite to eat. All the law enforcement people filing afterwards, they sat in a table behind us. One of them, as he passed the table, he got a little out of sorts, made a nasty remark to my dad. He didn't like that. You don't disrespect my father, especially in front of his family. He jumped up and right after the cop. Cop got scared. Dad was a pretty tough guy. Pulled out his gun right in the middle of the restaurant. Me and my brother jump in between him, separate him. You know, normal stuff you do when you're a kid. <laughs> and so I didn't like them very much back then, but I want to make this very clear right now. I do not feel that way anymore, okay? I finally realized in my life that they're the good guys and we were the bad guys, at least most of the time. Look, no matter what walk of life you're in, everybody can get offhand a little bit. But uh, I will tell you this, people. One of the greatest satisfactions I have in my life right now, and I really mean this, is the fellowship that I share with many of my brothers and sisters in law enforcement. You know, I got to tell you, it's amazing how God can not only transform a heart, but how he can transform a mind, break this whole distorted way of thinking that I had as a kid growing up and right into my adulthood, being a member of that life where law enforcement were bad people and all this. And God has been able to turn that around and change that. It's amazing what the Lord will do in your life if you allow him to. And one of the greatest uh, relationships I have today, like I said, is many of my brothers and sisters in law enforcement. I want to tell you this. I have a very strong anti-crime message that I deliver all over this country, especially to our young people. 
I make them understand you don't get away with criminal conduct in this country anymore. You got to respect the law, and if you don't, you're going down. And this video, which was a little bit extended, you only saw half of it, was really designed to speak to our youth. I work with a lot of gangbangers. I go into detention centers, and I really give them the right message because you don't get away with that stuff anymore. So parents, if I come to your high school, speak to your kids, don't worry, I give them the right message, promise. But back then it was different. And I'll tell you, I love my dad. I didn't care what people said about him, what I read in the newspaper. You know, he was a great father. You know, people would make remarks in the schoolyard, I'd go to war, we fight. Great father, I loved him. Good husband to my mom, very supportive of me. When I was a kid in school, I played all three sports, kind of like a jock. My dad would never miss a game, no matter what he was doing. Mob business, legit business, I'm playing ball, he shows up. I'll never forget, I'd be playing baseball, I'm on the field, I'm up to bat. Right? I look out at the corner of my eye, here comes dad. Big black Cadillac, a black Lincoln. Remember those 1960 Cadillacs for those of you my age? Their fin was about half the size of this room. You couldn't miss him, right? <laughs> he pulls up to the field, gets out of the car, always dressed sharp in a suit. Always had five or six guys with him. He never traveled anywhere alone. He gets out of the car, they start walking into the stands. The umpire takes one look at that crew, never calls strike three on me when he's seen dad. <laughs> I always say, hey, Pop, you're very good for my batting average. I play football. Nobody would tackle me when he was in the stands. I'll tell you, it's good to have a dad and a mom when you play sports. And he was, uh, he was great. And, you know, originally he didn't want this life for me. Wanted me to go to school and be a doctor. Said, son, stay off the street, get an education. That's where it's at. But he got in some real trouble back in the 60s. He was indicted several times, twice in the state. Uh, went to trial on both of those cases, was acquitted. But then in 1966, he was indicted in federal court for masterminding a nationwide string of bank robberies. In 1970, uh, after losing his case and all his appeals, he was sentenced to 50 years and went off to Leavenworth Penitentiary to do his time. Now, I was a pre-med student at Hofstra University when Dad went away. I was devastated. He was 50 when he went in, forget, 50 on top of that. My dad would never come out of prison alive. Just as an aside, today my dad is 93 years old. He's done 31 years in prison since 1970, in and out five times, each time on a parole violation, and each time for associating with another felon or somebody alleged to be an organized crime. Can't do that when you're on federal parole. When I was on parole, I had 526 people on my separation list. Some of them I never heard of. Some of them were dead. They don't even let you go to a cemetery and meet with anybody. My dad had a real problem with that. He kept getting out, meeting with somebody, getting violated. I went to see him about three and a half years ago. He was in Milan, Michigan in a penitentiary. I said, Dad, come on, man. You got to stop meeting people. You're getting too old for this. He said, son, what do you want me to do? I don't know anybody that's not a felon. Even you're a felon. I said, I know, Dad. I got it. You don't have to remind me. <laughs> anyway, um, I got to tell you this. You know, the, the sad thing about my father, after he got out of he uh, was just about getting out on that last violation. He got indicted again on another major case. In April of this past year, he went to trial on that case, and he was convicted. He's back in prison now. He gets sentenced on December 17th. And for all intents and purposes, I don't think my dad will ever enjoy his freedom again. Um, and I got to tell you, you know, I've sat through many trials in my life, five of my own, four of my dad's. This was the most difficult because the principal witness against my father in this case was my younger brother who uh, had a drug problem all his life and ended up cooperating with the government and, and put my dad and a few other guys into this situation that they're in. I'm going to ask you to pray for my dad. His name is Sonny. He comes up for sentencing on the 17th. We're just asking the judge really to, you know, have a heart, let him spend some time with his grandchildren, so on and so forth. And I, I ask you to keep him in prayer. But more importantly, 
Uh, weakest part of my ministry is definitely ministering to my dad. Every time I talk to him about Jesus, he throws me off track. He wants to talk about mob stuff like I never left, right? He's old school, but you know what? I see a little bit of a crack in the armor, and I really think God is, is beginning to touch his heart. So I'm going to ask you to keep my dad in prayer. I want him up there. He'll drive me crazy, but that's all right. I want him up there. His name is Sonny. So, um, uh, and Joe Colombo, who is the boss of my family, he kind of took me under, my wi- under his wing when dad went away. I started to meet a lot of my dad's friends, a lot of mob guys. Mike, what are you doing going to school? If you don't get on the street and help your father out, he's going to die in there. And I was very, uh, um, uh, you know, I really had an impact on me. I lost interest in school. I went to see my dad in Leavenworth. I said, Dad, I'm not going to school anymore. If I don't help you out here, you're going to die in prison. And he was upset by that, didn't want that for me. And we argued about it in the, in the uh, visiting room. But he knew, knew my mind was made up. And he said, you know what, son? Okay. But if you're going to be on the street, I want you on the street the right way. And in his mind, the right way was to become a member of his life. He said, go home. Somebody's going to be in touch with you. Do whatever you're told. And, you know, I was 21 years old. And, you know, when I finally looked back on my life, when I started to develop this relationship with the Lord, and I started to see that he really did have a plan and purpose for my life, I started to look back in my life. And I said, you know what, Lord? Now I understand why you put this person in my life. Now I understand why I went through this struggle why I had this great joy, why I had this grief. All of these experiences you're using, Lord, to fulfill a purpose in my life. And that's what he does. He allows us to go through all of this. I believe the 17 years that I spent as a made guy in that life, God has used that to prepare me for this purpose now. Now, he didn't cause me to sin. He never causes us to do these things. But let's face it, we're all sinful. If we weren't sinful, God would never be able to use any one of us, rather, if he didn't want to forgive us and use those experiences that we've had. And this was a very significant moment in my life because when my dad said, go home and do what you're told, I didn't question him. Now, obviously, my dad was proposing me into a criminal lifestyle, and I said, okay, dad, this is what you want. You got it. And he never went any further. He didn't explain anything, and I didn't ask. For me, it was blind faith. All right, pop, this is what you want. I'm ready to go. Blind faith. And the reason this became so significant to me later on is because I've heard many people say that Christians are supposed to have blind faith. Don't ever challenge God. Don't question the Bible. God will get mad at you. This is God. You're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to blindly read the Bible and accept whatever we we read. That's it. Well, i got to tell you this. Do you realize what we're called upon as Christians to do? We're called upon to believe that the Bible, that book, is written by men, but it's God's Word. It's the blueprint for our life. Well, that's pretty deep. And you take that a step further. If you believe in eternity and you believe in heaven and hell, and I certainly do, as Christians, we believe that the only way to get to heaven is through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. No gray area. That's what I love about God. Black and white, that's it. Well, I want to ask you something. How could you just blindly believe that? This is all eternity for you. This is your life here. You know what I say? I say you need to challenge God. I know I did. I said to God one day at a very bad moment in my life, and I'll get to that, I said, Lord, I trusted in somebody I love very much. I took an oath, surrendered my life to La Cosa Nostra, and look where it got me. It got me in a bad place. I said, I'm not doing that again. You gave me a mind. You gave me a heart. Okay? If you're telling me that the Bible is your word and that Jesus is my risen Savior, because I'm not putting my faith in anybody that's dead and buried in a tomb, dead people can't help you. I said, then you need to show me, Lord. I need to see the evidence. 
And people, I know a little bit about evidence, all right? I've been to trial five times. I've been to more grand juries than there are that section up there in the room. I know our criminal justice system inside out and upside down. I know every standard of proof that exists. Evidence has been a major part of my life. And when I finally challenged God, because I realized, you know what? God didn't make me a robot. He gave me a mind. He gave me a free will. He's God. He's got the truth. He wants us to be so sure of his love. He wants us to have so much faith in him that we can fulfill this purpose, that we can enjoy this relationship, that he says, hey, I'm putting it out there. Question me. I'm ready. When I finally questioned the Lord, I found out, people, that there is more evidence to prove that the Bible is truly God's word and that Jesus is our risen Savior than there is for anything else that exists in this world. And I will tell you this, especially you men out there. I do a lot of men's groups, and I get down with the men. Oh, Mike, you got to show me. And then they don't look. you got to do the work, people. It's like anything else. God has put it out there. He doesn't want us to be robots getting on our knees singing his praises without really feeling it. That's why he gave us this mind and this heart to freely love him. But to love him, you got to know him. Do the work. You'll be surprised. I had the opportunity to do that. And it's made an amazing difference in my life. I believe with all my heart. Because it's true. Because the evidence is there to support it in a big way. I left there that day. About two weeks later, a captain and a family picked me up, took me up to see the boss. Joe Colombo had been shot and seriously wounded. A new boss took over. His name was Tom DeBell. I sat with Tom. He said, Mike, I got a message from your father. He said, you want to become a member of this life. Is that true? I said, yes. He said, well, here's the deal. From now on, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you're on call to serve this family. And that means if your mother is sick and dying and this family calls you to service, you leave your mother's side and you come and serve us because from now on, we're number one in your life before anything and everything. When and if we feel you deserve the privilege, the honor to become a member will let you know I was 22 years old. I left there that day. I was in kind of like a pledge period, had to do anything and everything I was told to do to prove myself worthy, learn the mob ropes a little bit. Could have been something very menial, a lot of discipline in that life, a lot of respect, a lot of alleged respect, I should say, a lot of authority. You had an 8 o'clock appointment. You weren't there by 7.30. You were late. A lot of stuff like that. And people, you need to understand where the Lord has brought me. That life at times is very violent. And if you're part of the life, you're part of the violence. And I think you understand what I mean. And you think that you're bad. You think the Lord can't reach out to you. And I know there's some of you in here today that are struggling. I know I met a few outside already. I said, Michael, I relate to you. I led the same kind of life. Well, if you did, then realize we serve the same God. And if he's done this for me, he can do this for you. <clears throat> After about a year, I guess I proved myself worthy. It was Halloween night, 1975, 35 years ago this past October, that myself and five other gentlemen were called into a room. And that night, we all took an oath and became sworn made members of the Colombo crime family. Now, I took that oath very seriously back then. I take it seriously today, even though I don't consider myself a member of the life anymore. You come into the life, you don't sign a contract, there's no retirement age. They say when you leave that life, you either leave in a coffin or you join the government and enter a witness protection program. Obviously, I've done neither at this point in time. It was a very solemn ceremony, meant to be very imposing, dimly lit room late at night. We walked into the room individually. The boss was seated at the head of like a horseshoe configuration, the underboss and the consigliere to his left and right. All the captains were alongside of them. I held out my hand in front of the boss. He took a knife, cut my finger. Some blood dropped on the floor. This is a blood oath. I cupped my hands. He took a picture of a saint, a Catholic altar card, put it in my hands and lit it aflame. 
Didn't hurt, it burnt quickly, it was merely symbolic. And he said something to me that night that I don't recall hearing ever in my life before, and I grew up as a Catholic. Went to Catholic school from kindergarten right through high school. I was an altar boy the whole bit. But for some reason, I didn't understand that this life is about a relationship with Jesus. Relationship. It was more like a a subject in school for me, Catholicism. And I'm not blaming Catholics, just didn't work for me. But I realize now this life is all about a relationship with Jesus. As a matter of fact, life is all about a relationship, period, people. Think about it. Relationship with your wife, your husband, your kids, your family, the people you work with, your employer, your employee, the people in your community, your enemies. Life is all about relationships. That's what it is. And the most important relationship you'll ever develop in your life is the one you develop with our Lord Jesus. And people, no excuse. You can know Jesus the way you can know the person sitting next to you. There's enough information about him. He's alive. He's real. And when you take him into your heart, he starts to live in you. And you'll see the difference, and so will others see the difference in you. It's real, and it's all about relationship. But back then, I didn't get it. And when Tom said to me these words, it was the first time I heard it. He said, tonight, Michael Francis, you are being born again into a new life, into La Cosa Nostra. And if you violate what you know about this life, betray your brothers, then you will die and burn in hell like the saint is burning in your hands. He said, do you accept? I said, yes, I do. The other five guys went in. They all took the oath. Now, how far away from God's grace can you be, people, to be born again into a criminal lifestyle where every day of your life you're violating God's laws and the laws of man? i got to confess something to you. When I first was asked to come up and speak, it was very difficult for me. I said, come on, who's going to who's gonna accept this? I carry all this baggage. A mob guy turned good. Yeah, Jesus did the job. Yeah, right. I had a real problem with this, and I confessed this to a brother of mine in Christ. I said, you know, I'm struggling with this, and he looked at me, and I thought he was going to console me. He said, Francis, I'm surprised you're a big mob, tough guy. Stop being a wimp. I said, oh, take it easy now. I'll remember who you're talking to. I'm only kidding. You know, I'm only kidding. I said, hey, brother, what do you mean, man? I'm coming to you for consolation. You talk to me like that? He said, let me ask you a question. He said, are you truly sorry for the sins that you've forgiven in your life? And I said, yeah, I believe I am. I said, you know, sometimes we don't know our own motivation. I said, but in my heart, I really do. I feel sorry. He said, well, then you know what you're doing? You're insulting me right now. I said, hey, bro, what are you talking about? He said, what you're telling me is that when my Lord suffered and died on that cross, that his grace wasn't good enough to extend to you. You're demeaning the message of the cross, and I'm insulted. Whoa, when he said it like that. I said, hey, who am I? Jesus suffered and died for the forgiveness of all sins. Who am I to say I'm outside of that? When he said it like that, it really meant something to me. And then he looked at me and he said, I want to tell you something, Michael. He said, your sins are forgiven if your heart is sincere. He said, and God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And what you're doing now, you need to stop. He said, you need to stop allowing the enemy to remind you of what God has already forgotten. Get on with your life. Let the Lord do his work. Really help me, people. Yes. And I hope that message gets out very clearly to all of us. God's grace extends to everybody. Knows our hearts sincere. I left there that day. I was motivated to do two things. Wanted to get my dad out of prison. Told you about that. And I wanted to make money. My dad said, in this life, you make money. It translates to power. Not unlike the real world. I was very motivated, very fortunate. I knew how to use that life to benefit me in business. Went on to make a lot of money. 1980, the boss of my family, Carmine Persico, came to me. Mike, you're doing a great job. I'm going to make you a cop of regime, a captain. 
And uh, that's the process. Boss says you're a captain. That's it. And from 1980 until about 93, when I consider myself formally removed from that life, I operated in that capacity. And I want to tell you where I was in 1984 when I believe God started to make a change in my life. 1984, I'm a captain in a family. Honestly, they were grooming me to be the boss. The boss, Carmine Persico, who's now doing life, had a son. He and I came in at the same time. Two of us were going to take over the family. Okay, I became a major target of law enforcement, got indicted five times, went to trial five times, beat every case, beat Rudy Giuliani in 1984 on a major racketeering case. I was the first major mob guy he indicted under the RICO statute. Told me in a courtroom, Francis, I convict you on this. I'm going to give you 100 years, double what your father got. I said, hey, Rudy, bring it on. Beat you guys four times already. Let's go for round five. I was kind of arrogant back then. After a seven-month trial, I was acquitted. I was the lead defendant. I had 15 co-defendants. Some of them were convicted. They got 30 years and up. If I had got convicted, I wouldn't be here today. Right? So I'm beating law enforcement. I'll be honest with you people. Into my operation, I'm bringing in eight, nine million dollars a week. I got my own jet plane, my own helicopter, a house in Marina del Rey, a house in New York, house in Florida. I got 300 crazy guys under me ready to do anything I tell them to do prove themselves worthy. Who's better than me? I got it going on, right? Big shot mob guy. I got it going on. Going to be the boss of a major family. That's it. Now, did I believe in God? Sure I did. Why? It made sense to believe in God for me, people. I have a real problem with evolution. I've tried to look at it in every different way. I've studied it. Doesn't work for me. Intelligent design worked for me. So yeah, I believed in God. Yeah, using my head again. But did I have a relationship with him? No. He was in his spot. I was in mine. Didn't need them. I was doing pretty good. And then something happened. Among many things I was doing back then, I was making movies. I had a production company out here. I was making movies. Somebody came to me with a script for a breakdance movie. A lot of music, a lot of dance. Kind of a contemporary West Side story. A lot of rap music. But that's when you can listen to rap music on the radio. Not like today. Forget about it today. You can't listen to this. But back then it was cool. Curtis Blow, the Sugar Hill Gang, the Fat Boys, you know, Run DMC. I like that stuff. I said, hey, I'll make the movie. If we can film it in Florida, let's do it. So we're going to film this in Florida. And we bring in a lot of the cast and crew to, uh, to work in the film down there. I got everybody staying in a hotel in South Florida. We are in pre-production, getting ready to film. And I brought in a professional dance company with 50 professional dancers to work in the film. Beautiful day in Florida, pre-production, sitting by the pool one day, minding my own business, sun is shining, great, getting ready to film with a couple of my guys just shooting a breeze. I'm sitting there, and guys, you'll appreciate this, sitting there, and all of a sudden, out of the water comes this gorgeous 20-year-old girl. I see her, everything goes in slow motion. It was like a Pepsi commercial for me, right? I see her. I said, wow, who is this girl? She had like a dancer's body. I thought she might have been a dancer. The choreographer was sitting next to me. I said, Jeff, this one of your girls? He said, yes. What's her name? He said, Camille. I said, bring her over. I want to meet her. I figured, you know, big shot producer, she'll want to meet me, right? She comes over. I introduce myself to her. Camille, my name is Michael. I'm your producer. I want to get to know you a little better. Let me take you to lunch. She says, okay. Very sweet, very polite. The smile got me, right? We set a time and a place to go to lunch. I set up this place on top of one of the hotels in Miami. I figure I'm going to sweep her off her feet. I got everything going but the violins that afternoon, right? I'm up there 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour, 40 minutes. She stood me up. Stood up a mob guy, imagine now. She didn't know who I was. But anyway, I see her the next day on a set. I say, hey, come here, what happened? She doesn't make an excuse. She doesn't say anything. She smiles. I make an excuse for her. I say, well, maybe you got busy. You were dancing, rehearsing. Let's try it again. She says, okay. We do it a second time. I go. She stood me up again. Now, she does this to me five times, okay? 
Now, if she was sitting here, she'd roll her eyes. She'll be here till later on. She'd roll her eyes. She'd say, stop exaggerating. I said, no, excuse me. It was five times. I was the offended party. I wasn't used to rejection, right, guys? We know when we were rejected. It was five times. I want this girl. She don't want to have anything to do with me, right? One night, we're having a cast meeting, and she's coming out of the meeting. It's 930 at night. I always got my eye on her. She's with some of her friends. She's upset. Something's going wrong. I said, oh, this is it, tailor-made for me. Whatever I got to do, I'll solve her problem. I got to fire somebody, whatever, I'm on, right? <laughs> I go see her. I says, Camille, what's wrong? She finally starts to talk to me a little bit. Long story short, she's from Anaheim, California. Her parents were upset. She never really was away from home before. A lot of crazy things happening on a movie set. They can get kind of wild. And she's telling me, and I'm saying to myself, what do you mean? You're a dancer. What's the big deal? But then I realized she never really came out. We used to go to these after-hour places in Lauderdale, Miami. She would never come. One or two friends did her thing, went back to her room. And in the conversation, somehow it came up. Uh, she was a Christian, a girl of faith, somebody, a believer. I don't remember how she put it. I said, well, hey, I'm a Catholic. We got something in common. Let's talk, right? <laughs> Anything to get to know her better. Cut to the chase. Long story short, I fell very much in love with this young woman. She's now my wife of 25 years. And there's no doubt. Thank you. There's no doubt that she was the catalyst that God used to lead me to the Lord. And people, I want to tell you this again. She brings me home to meet her mother. Her mother, Irma, was the most godly woman I ever met in my life. You meet Irma for two minutes, your name goes into her prayer book. She had a prayer book like a telephone book. You know, we looked at some of the entries. The guy on the corner with one shoe. The delivery boy that came to the house. The guy that drove by in a car. I'm not kidding. You see her, she's praying, right? That was it. But, uh... I'm starting to meet this girl and her family, and I'm saying, you know what? Jesus really means something to them. Now, I wasn't buying into it. I was Catholic, but I saw how much it meant to them. Their faith meant to them. And uh, it started to have an impact on me. And I got to tell you something. I started to fall in love with this girl. Now, the reason I told you where I was when I met her, it was never on my radar screen ever to walk away from that life. I grew up in it. I'm a mob guy. I'm going to be the boss. This was all I knew. This was my life. Never on my radar screen to walk away. I'm at the top of my game. But something is happening. My love for this young woman is becoming more important than this bond I had with my dad. More important than this blood oath that I took with La Cosa Nostra. Now, how do you explain that? I'm going to be honest. She wasn't the first beautiful woman I ever met in my life. But there was something about her. Do you think that God wasn't using her? Do you think that he didn't put that girl in my life for a reason? I got to tell you how far out of left field God hit me. My wife is Mexican. I'm Italian. We didn't have any, any Mexicans back in New York. I never even ate a burrito before I met my wife, right? <laughs> First Mexican I met, I married. I love Mexicans now, I got to tell you. You know, I'm family. But uh, God put this girl in my life. It wasn't a coincidence, people, as you see it now. God has a plan. So here's the deal. Again, cutting to the chase. Don't want to go over my time. Okay, I'm falling in love with this girl, but I realize my life is a direct contradiction to everything she believes. These people really love the Lord. What am I going to do? Aha, uh -huh, they're going to indict me again on another case. Every year I became a major target. I tell my lawyer, I'm going to take a plea. I beat them so many times, they want to get some time on me. We still had parole back then, not like today. I'm going to marry Camille. We're falling in love now. Move out to the West Coast. I'll do some jail time. I'll have parole and probation when I get out. The guys in New York know I can't talk to them. Maybe I'll live out on the West Coast. After 10 or 12 years, they'll forget about me. That was my plan. Wasn't God's plan. He wasn't going to let me back door, but that was God's plan. But you know what I found out in life, people? Sometimes we walk parallel to God. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay, we're doing things for our own purpose, but God has got an ultimate plan in this. 
I'm meeting this girl and falling in love with her. I didn't care at that point if she was Christian, Jewish, whatever. I'm falling in love with a beautiful woman. I want to marry this girl, but I want it for my own purpose. I'm going to leave the life, a bad life, but I'm leaving it for my own purpose to be with this girl. But I believe God is saying, okay, you're following the steps, Christian girl, good. Out of the life, good. Keep going, Mike, because at some point in I, at time, you and I are going to intersect, and you're going to understand what this is all about. And that's what happens, people. You're in here today. You may be starting that parallel walk, the person that brought you in here. For whatever reason, we do things for our own purpose, but God does have a plan, and he will intersect and reveal that plan to you, especially if you start to seek it, and you should do that today. Boom. Going to marry Camille. Camille, can you handle it? I'm going to have to do some jail time. Michael, I'd rather have you alive in prison than have all these struggles out on the street. This young girl at 20 years old, which she was undertaking, she had no idea. She didn't have any concept of my life. She saw the Godfather once. That was it. Okay? She had no idea what she was getting into. And I say this all the time. I'm not the story here, people. I brought everything on myself. What this girl went through. Okay? Unbelievable. And I thank God every day because I love her like I loved her back then. And he's kept her in my life through many, many, many struggles. You know, I always say this, people. I don't want to be misleading. You don't come to Christ and everything. I always say this. God didn't promise us heaven on, on earth. He promised us heaven in heaven. But what he promises is he will be with us through all the struggles. And boy, I can be a witness to that. He has been there for us through every struggle. And we've had many. From the day I accepted Christ and we got together, we've had so many struggles. But he's led us through. And ultimately, it works out, people. You got to try to stay faithful. It's tough sometimes. No doubt about it. We live in the world and it's tough. But you stay faithful. God will honor it. He really will, and he has in my life. Ten-year prison sentence, $15 million restitution, take the helicopter, plane, everything. I'm going to marry this girl. We're going to go. She says, I want to get married in a Christian church. Hey, no problem, Christian, Catholic, but we better do it quick. When I take the plea, they're going to take me away, right? We get married in July. I'm gone in December. I'm in prison two years. The warden comes to me, Francis. Life magazine's doing this big story on you. They say they, if the, you talk to the reporter, it'll be a better story. Okay. I'm trying to make life easier for myself when I get out, keep the government at bay, get the mob guys out of my way. I speak to him. Standard stuff. What are you talking about? There is no mob. I don't know what you're talking I married this girl. She's Mexican. I'm moving out to the West Coast. I like the warm weather. Leave me alone. That's it. Two weeks later, the warden calls me back. Francis, have you got a death wish? What are you talking about, warden? He shows me the article. Oh, 10 pages. Okay, big picture of me, double page across the top, quitting the mafia. This guy wrote a bet. He had me doing everything but testifying against everybody in New York. Warden, you're in trouble, Mike. We got to lock you down. We got word on the street. Okay, can't keep you out there. There's 15 other mob guys in there. We got to lock you down. Long story short, people, two weeks later, something happened out of Chicago where I had to make a decision whether or not to renounce my life. I do. At that point, all heck goes loose for me. And I got to tell you this, bad. Contract on my life? Absolutely. And the FBI told me, and I believe it, that my father went along with it. He didn't have much of a choice, okay? I'm in trouble. They kept me locked down. I get out on parole. All I can tell you is my 13 months that I spent out here on parole, the worst time of my life. Feds all over me. Francis, you're a dead man anyway. Cooperate with us. We'll put you in a program. You help us. We'll help you. I didn't want to do that. I wasn't mad at the guys back east. I just wanted out of the life. They don't take no for an answer. 13 months I had on parole, people. My wife and I dodging bullets. No house in my name. Couldn't do anything. We were moving all over. The FBI coming to me. Mike, we got word from informers. People out here in L.A. to hurt 
hurt you. It was a bad time for me. After 13 months, I couldn't get anything going. Big shot mob guy making all this money on the street. I couldn't get anything going in L.A. I was like a fish out of water. After 13 months, one morning, I'm telling my wife, I'm going to the, to the bank. When I come back, I'll buy you breakfast. I walk out of the bank. 15 agents there, paddy wagon, slap the cuffs on me, throw me in a paddy wagon, go into the bank, lean my bank accounts, took my keys, confiscated my car, went to my house with a search warrant, cleaned us out, took the money out of my wife's purse, left us with nothing, driving me down to the lockup. Francis, we don't want you anymore. You're done. Your life is over. We're indicting you on a new case. We're violating you on your parole. You're never going to see the street again, and we took everything you got. You're losing everything. They throw me in that six-by-eight cell, ready to transport me back to Brooklyn the next morning, and here's my situation. It's over. I'm done. They took everything I got. A new case? They took all my money. You can't beat these racketeering cases with money. Without it, forget it. My wife, how's she going to wait for me now? Five years in prison. 13 horrible months on parole. They took every dollar we have. She's 27 years old. We got two kids now. Why is she going to wait for me? I'm going to lose the girl I did all of this for. I'm never going to see my kids. They can't put me out on the yard. I got death threats all over me. They won't take that responsibility. I am done. My life is over. People, I want to tell you something. I have felt every emotion in life that you can feel from ecstasy right down to grief and everything in between. I've led a pretty full life, but by far the worst emotion you could ever, ever feel in your life is hopelessness. When you feel there is nowhere to turn, nothing you can do to help your situation, when it is totally black and lost, I am telling you, my heart hurt so much that night. It was a physical pain. I couldn't endure it. My head was pounding. I was angry with God because you know why? I had accepted Christ. My mother-in-law, my wife, accept Christ. He'll forgive you your sins. Yeah, how do I do that? Tell me. Say a prayer, get on my knees, really try to feel it. I did all of that, but they said you got to surrender to the Lord. What do you mean surrender? Come on, man. God helps those who help themselves. Total contradiction to the Bible, but I couldn't process that. And people, I want to tell you something. I believe our repentance is made whole in our surrender. We got to give our life to Jesus. We're asking for forgiveness, and we got to give it over to him. That's what it was. But I had one foot in and one foot out. It was all self-serving to that point. I'm laying on that cot. I'm angry with God. God, I I married this Christian woman. I left the life. Look what you did to me. Of course, we blame God when we mess up. A prison guard walks by my cell. He says, Francis, you don't look good. Are you okay? I said, get away from me. I chased him. He left. He came back a minute later, and he had this book. It was a Bible. He pushes it through the slot on the door. It falls on the floor. I hear a thump. I'm a little groggy. I look down when I hear the thump. I see the Bible. I get mad. I said, a Bible? I want a bottle of Prozac. I don't want a Bible. I want to forget what's going on here. Everything starts to come out of me. I'm so angry, people. I'm not dramatizing this. I jump off of that cot, pick up the Bible, throw it against the wall as hard as I could. Everything came out of me. It took me about 30 seconds. I said, you know what? I got nothing but enemies. Only me and God in this cell. I believed in him. I said, I don't need another enemy. And I took the book. And you know, I'll tell you this, people. I've never heard God audibly. I've never seen him in a dream. Some people have that gift. I don't. But he speaks to my heart all the time now. And that was the first night he spoke that I listened because I was desperate. And I said to him, God, if you're really up there, give me something to make me feel better. I can't deal with this. And I opened up that Bible. I had never read the book of Proverbs before, never. But for some reason, I was directed to that book. I love that book. And the first verse that I came to that touched my heart, Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, even his enemies are at peace with you. 
And you know what God did? He convicted me and gave me hope in the same verse because I believe he was standing there and said, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, don't tell me about this girl you married and the fact that you left the life. Who did you do it for? You don't lie to yourself when you're in that situation. Even your enemies at peace with you, he was telling me, son, I got this covered if you're willing to play along. That's the night we intersected. I started to read on a little further because it gave me hope, and I came to the verse that's the verse of my life, people. I'm going to sign books for some of you. I've signed thousands of books, T-shirts for kids, sneakers, whatever they want. I'll sign it. No problem. I get it. I know the author's signature. Everybody likes it. But you know what? My signature don't mean a darn thing. It's my name on a piece of paper, nothing more. But what I write underneath it, every time you will not see my signature without this verse because I want to bring your attention to it. It's important. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That's it. Everything starts with that verse for me. I can tell you this. That's the night I challenged God. God, I did this twice. Gave my life to La Cosa Nostra. Trusted my father. You're asking me to do this a third time. I can't do it. If I'm going to surrender, show me. All I can tell you is this, people. The 50 years they were going to give me this big racketeering case, it fell apart. They were never able to indict me. I don't, still till today, I don't really know why. The parole violation, they gave me four years. I did 35 months and 13 days in prison, 29 months and seven days in the hole. Locked down 24-7, me and God. And during that time, I challenged him, Lord, show me. Give me the evidence. Let me really believe. Give this to me. I started to read my Bible. If you see my prison Bible... There's more of my notes on there than there is scripture. I had my wife starting with Chuck Colson's Born Again. I read over 400 Christian books during that time. I was so hungry to listen and to read about the Lord. I had a Sony Walkman every day. I listened to Pastor Greg Laurie. I love Pastor Greg. His soothing voice, the way he interpreted scripture. I tell people all the time, don't only read the Bible. Anything you can get your hands on, audio, visual, reading material that will bring you closer to the Lord and educate you more, you got to do it. And that's the night I said, hey, Lord, I got no choice. I'm giving it up to you because I don't know what I'm going to do. But you know what? The Lord will take you any way he can get you. And I believe with all my heart, he said, Francis, here's what. I gave you this girl. You left the life. I gave you everything. But you're too stubborn. The only way I'm going to get your attention is to throw you in this hole and realize you've got nobody to turn to but me. And I will tell you this. I would have never accepted the Lord in the way that I have had he not put me in that prison cell. Too stubborn, too self-centered, too thinking I had it all going on my own. So he saved my life. I came out of there. And I said, Lord, do with me what you will. I don't know what I'm going to do. Had no clue. A speaker, people, the pastor of my church who was good to me, who married me, who I hardly even knew. Okay, when I get out, Dr. Myron Taylor, I love him. He says, Mike, I want you to give you a testimony in front of the church. I said, testimony? I didn't even know what he was talking about. I thought you did that from a witness stand, right? <laughs> All I can tell you is this. This whole thing, I've written five books. They're doing a movie about my life, and that movie will honor God. Starts production in April, okay? And it will honor the Lord. Just finished with a TV show, and all I can tell you is I don't outthink God. I try to be obedient on a daily basis and see what opportunities he's opening up. And people, I will tell you this, struggled many. 
okay? You don't get a free pass in this life, especially when you have the baggage that I carried. But I will tell you this, that God has been there every step of the way. And I want to leave you with this. When I walked away from that life, everybody predicted my death. And I mean everybody. You read the inside cover of my book, Blood Covenant. Blood Covenant rather, It is my life story. Guys, I don't sugarcoat anything. You want to hear a mob story? It's a mob story. Ladies, it's a love story. A story about me and my wife and how we came together, right? <laughs> but read the inside cover of the book. Life magazine, if he holds to what he has promised, it will mark the first time a high-ranking member of the mafia will publicly walk away from his past and live. Ed McDonald, head of the organized crime strike force, on television, quote, I wouldn't want to be in Michael Francis's shoes. I don't think his life expectancy is very substantial. That was 1993. He was very diplomatic. Bernie Welsh, FBI agent, he wasn't so diplomatic. On TV, he will get whacked. And I think you know what that means in mob parlance. When I walked into the room that night and took an oath, There were six of us who took the oath. I'm the only one alive today. Not one of them died of natural causes. In 1987, Fortune magazine wrote a huge article, front page, 50 biggest and most wealthiest mob bosses in the country. He had a chart in there with the 50 of us on there. I was number 18 in ranking, the youngest guy on the list. 1987. Today, 23 years later, on that list of 50, 43 of them are dead. Three of them that I know are serving life in prison. And I'm here to talk to you about my Lord and Savior and my hero, Jesus Christ. What does that tell you, people? Amen. When God has a plan and a purpose for you, and he does for every one of you, nothing is going to stand in the way. No mob, no sickness, no enemy, no one except you. All God requires of you is your obedience. And listen to that voice in your heart when you start that relationship, and he will make a change. If you haven't made a commitment to the Lord, there's nothing more important. We're not guaranteed another minute in this life today, people. Start today, right now. God bless you all. Thank you very much. Hope to see you again. Thank you. Awesome job. Awesome job. I love uh, what Michael said about the idea of there's a difference between believing in God and having your life intersect with him in such a way that all of a sudden you really truly come to know him. And Jesus said these words in John 17. He said, this is eternal life that they may know you, God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The word know means to literally know. But uh, all of us, whether it's in a prison cell or sitting in a church, need to have a moment in our life where we sincerely say to him, I'm in. I really want this. I'm going to open up to you. And uh, God wants you bad. But you and I have to be willing to surrender. It's an all or nothing thing. If you didn't catch it today, you heard a man who said, I am going to literally risk everything I have to say yes to God and to live his way. And then what came out of it is life true life. Today, if you're here and you've never, ever met Jesus Christ that way, I want you to know it's for you. It doesn't matter what's gone on in your life, in your past. It doesn't matter all the things that you've done. What matters is what he did on the cross. And he did it because he loved you and he loves you now. 
And you might ask, okay, how do I do that? How do I make that? And it, Michael used the word, how do we accept Christ? The answer is you say to him, I really want this, Lord. I, you pray a prayer. And if you've never prayed that prayer before in a moment, we're going to go to a time of prayer. And I want to invite you to pray it with me. I want to invite you to say to the Lord, I want this. If you're here today and you're somebody who said, well, I believe in God, but it's not been real. It's not been incredible. It's not been this new life with him, a life where he leads and guides you, where you can trust in him with all your heart, knowing he will take care of you. Then I want to invite you to pray that prayer and mean it. It's the first step in coming to him. Now there's some other steps, but the first step is to get honest with God and say, I want you and I want this. Today, if you're a Christian and yet you're not close to God anymore, I want you to know, He wants you back. He wants to take you and he wants to love you and he wants you close to him again. And I want to invite you to pray that prayer too. So today, if you want to come to know the Lord or if you want to say, yes, Lord, I want to come back to you. Let me know. Or I want to let you know that he, he wants you. He loves you and he cares about you. And right now, if you would say those words and talk with him, he's going to take you. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that the story we just heard would begin to be the story of some other people here today. That they would understand how loved they are. They would understand how much they matter. Father, I pray for the person who's sitting here today and and they were brought by some friends and, and yet now all of a sudden something's stirring inside them. And God, they know this is their moment to open up to you. And I pray they're about to say these words. They're about to say yes to you. They're about to literally surrender their life. Father, I pray for the person who's here today and they've been afraid. There's other things that cause fear in their life, but God, it's time to let it go and to trust you knowing that that maybe it won't be easy, but on the other side, it's going to be incredible and you have a plan for them. And to have your hand and your love and your protection on them is what they need. And I pray right now they know it. Father, I pray for the person today who's hurting. And yet all of a sudden, in the midst of hearing Michael's story, they sense comfort and they're not even sure why, but it's because you want them and, and this is their moment to surrender. So Lord, I pray for the person who needs to come to you or needs to come back that right now, God, they'd know this is their moment. I'm gonna ask that we keep praying and if you're right with God, do this. Would you pray for anybody today who needs to surrender to the Lord? But right now, I'm going to lead a prayer. If you want to say yes to him, if you want his love, if you want the life he has for you, if you're ready to say, God, I'm yours, no holding back, I'm going to ask you to whisper a prayer with me right where you're sitting. Just whisper the words. It's the first step. Here's the question. Do you want to take it? If so, if so, pray this prayer. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus I know you love me. And I know that you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurt, my pain, to free me from my fear, to make me alive, to make me new, and to make me yours. And I say yes. I want this and I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be 
who you created me to be and help me live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen.